Good morning. It's good to see everybody with us this morning. Looking forward to the holiday later this week. And Lord willing, Lindsay and I and the kids will go down and see family for Thanksgiving. Looking forward to that. We appreciate your prayers on our behalf as we travel this week. This morning, we're going to open up our Old Testaments to a passage in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, we're going to hone in on a particular verse in that chapter. We're going to read through the entire chapter and we're going to hone in on a specific verse in chapter 15. And we're going to deal with a grave mistake that King Saul makes in this chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is the mistake that changes the history of Israel as a nation. Her first true king, Saul, is going to make a terrible mistake in this chapter. And because of it, because of the consequences, we're going to give rise to King David, who's going to take his place. But there's a very important principle, a very important concept that we're going to find in this chapter particularly as it pertains to one verse that we're really going to star in our Bibles and pay very close attention to. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's read through this, and let's make some comments, and then we'll point out that verse that I want you to really pay attention to. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel also said, or Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. I've got that underlined in my Bible. Heed the voice of the the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. You can read back... In the Pentateuch, in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, about how Amalek had ambushed the Israelites on their way out of Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. He is to utterly destroy the Amalekites. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Tillam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, so these are not the Amalekites, but these are Kenites who are living there with Amalek, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, and what does that say? He took him alive. Is that what God said to do? He said, utterly destroy the Amalekites which includes what? The king of the Amalekites, Agag. He says, utterly destroy all of them. Don't take anybody alive. 
But Saul wants to take a trophy. He wants to take the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So he's just going to take the king. Surely it'd be okay if I just take the king only and utterly destroy all the rest of them. But, verse number 9, Saul and the people spared Agag, and what else did they spare? The best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Okay, ooh, we don't want those, we don't want those. You can go ahead and kill those. Ooh, but I like that one there, and I like that one. Keep them. See the selfish reasoning behind all of this with Saul? Verse number 10, what's going to happen to Saul? What are the consequences? Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, the one who is anointing kings, is grieved to the heart. That's this Saul, this King Saul, is disobeying the word of the Lord, and he cries all night long. Verse number 12, So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel. And indeed, he set up a monument for himself. Isn't that about right, Saul? Set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Wrong. Saul says, Oh, look, hey, Samuel, hey, buddy old pal, I'm glad to see you. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment. I did exactly what God has told me to do. But did Saul do exactly what God told him to do? No, he didn't. Because he took Agag, and he also took the best of the various animals of the Amalekites as well. I love verse number 14. Verse number 14 is hilarious. Notice Samuel's response. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep? in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. Saul says, I did exactly what God told me to do. Oh, really, Saul? Why do I hear all these sheep bleeding in the lowing of the oxen then? Because what had God told him to do? Kill all the sheep and the oxen, and all of the Amalekites, and all these other things. You are to follow exactly what I said. Saul didn't follow exactly what God said. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Notice that word there, that personal pronoun. What does he say? They. What's he doing? He's shifting the blame, isn't he? Well, they did that. Yeah, but who oversaw this action? You did, Saul, because you're the king, and you should have put a stop to it. They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. 
Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He's just dug in and refuses to admit what he has done, doesn't he? But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. What's he doing? He's trying to make a fine distinction between the Amalekites and the king of the Amalekites. Well, he's not the Amalekite. He's the king of the Amalekites. Now, Saul, you know better than that. He's the king of the Amalekites because he is an Amalekite. So stop trying to get out of this. You did disobey the voice of the Lord. But isn't it often the case that people who are bent on disobeying the Lord will try to find every loophole that they possibly can? And so now Saul's just looking for loopholes. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, verse number 21. But the people... Shifting the blame. But the people took of the plunder, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the, the fat of rams. This is a very important concept. And the concept is that, yes, sacrifices were needed, but Saul, when you're bringing sacrifices, you better do it according to the word of the Lord. And the Lord doesn't want sacrifices from the flock of the Amalekites because he told you to destroy all of them. What do you think is probably going on here? Well, we'll sacrifice this one, but I'm going to keep these for myself. You think there were some covetous motives going on here? Materialistic motivations going on among Saul and the others, I'm sure there was. And so he's just saying, well, we'll, we'll sacrifice some of them to you, Lord. It doesn't matter. That is not what the Lord said do. He said destroy them. And to obey is better than sacrifice anyway. What is a sacrifice done for? Sins. When you sin, you are to bring sacrifices, trespass offerings. And so wouldn't it have been better if you would have just obeyed in the first place? That's the concept that Samuel is teaching here in verse 22. Look at verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. What do we oftentimes like to do? Do we not like to rack and stack? Do we not like to rank various sins and say, well, that one I'm not going to do and that one I'm not going to do, but this one here, everybody does this one. It's okay. 
Notice, he says rebellion is just as wrong as witchcraft, stubbornness. Saul, you're guilty of rebellion and stubbornness. It's just as wrong as iniquity and idolatry, Saul, and you have committed these sins. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. What does a leader do? A leader sets aside the pressures and the fears that he might have from the people and he leads the people anyway. He realizes, you know what, we're going to do right in spite of what the people want to do. But he feared the people. And he, being the leader, who they were supposed to be obeying, he obeyed their voice, Saul admits. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Eventually, King David is going to take Saul's place. And also, the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Mark it, underline it, star it, because we're going to make some very important points from that in just a moment. Verse number 30, Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death has passed. Maybe I will not be uh, killed. Yeah, let's see what Samuel says. Verse 33, But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Samuel had to do what Saul wasn't willing to do. Samuel put this wicked king Agag to death. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Samuel says, we're done, Saul. The Lord has removed you from being king. Samuel doesn't go to him anymore. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned. For Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Verse number 29, we want to hone in on for the rest of our sermon this morning. Verse number 29. Now, I like the New American Standard Bible in 1 Samuel 15, verse 29. And that translation says, Also the glory of Israel will not lie nor change his mind, for he is not a man that he would change. 
his mind. In this context, Samuel saying, Look, Saul, you flat out rebelled against the word of the Lord. Did, did God change his mind somehow and say, Okay, well, I guess given the circumstances, you can go ahead and take Agag and you, you can go ahead and take the best of the sheep and the oxen, etc. Okay, I'll change my mind. Is that what God did? God's not a man. Men are oftentimes described as wishy-washy. And we change our minds with the rising tide. And the sun comes up and the sun goes down, and we change our minds just as often. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't change his mind. God does not change his mind with the shifting sands of time. He said what he said, and he meant what he said. The glory of Israel is not going to lie, nor is he going to change his mind. I want you to listen to some other verses that deal with the immutability, that is, the unchanging nature of God. Malachi 3, verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. James 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. God does not vary. He does not turn. He does not change His mind. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, God the Son, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Numbers 23, verse 19, using the New American Standard Version uh, on that one as well. Does it not sound very familiar? God is not a man that he would lie, nor a son of man that he would change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and... Will he not make it good? Samuel was quoting from that, wasn't he? God's not a man that he's going to tell a lie, nor is God going to change his mind. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so the word of the Lord does not change either. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And then Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same. And your, your years will have no end. This morning, I want us to take a very important lesson from what Saul had to learn the hard way in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and that was written for our learning, Romans 15 verse 4. And I want us to take a very important lesson from what was given in this passage, and I want us to make some very important application. Right off the bat, I want us to consider the important truth 
that in spite of what our ever-changing and postmodernistic society believes, and postmodernism being the idea that you can have your truth, I can have my truth, you can believe this, and I can believe that, and we can both be right in our own eyes. The book of Judges teaches us that there, were, there was a time when men were doing that which was right in their own eyes. But was it right? Not at all. And so postmodernism teaches the idea that people can have their truth, I can have my truth, we all can have our own versions of the truth, we all can believe whatever we want, but the matter is that truth is truth. And so in spite of what our postmodernistic society thinks, the Bible says in Psalm 9, verse 17, that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. The Bible also says in Proverbs 14, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is reproach to any people. So the application there is that God is not a man that he would change his mind. And God has clearly stated in his holy word that nations that forget God will be in serious trouble. He hasn't changed his mind on that. I want us to mention some things that the Bible says are sinful practices. And I want us to continue to to proclaim God's truth on the subject. The Bible says very clearly that homosexuality is a sin. In the book of Leviticus, 18 verse 22, we read, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is abomination. Nations that forget God on this subject will be turned to punishment. Oftentimes we will come across people who believe that these practices that are sinful are okay. And they will point to passages such as Leviticus 18 verse 22 and they will say, well, that's Old Testament. But we are here today to proclaim that the New Testament speaks on it as well. God has not changed his mind. God has not lied. And he has proclaimed for all time that homosexuality is a sin. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error that was due. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, homosexuality is included in the list of sins that will disallow someone from inheriting the kingdom of God. Society does not want us to proclaim this any longer. Society believes that a preacher who proclaims the truth on this subject 
belongs in the lowest depths of a prison cell. Because how dare you preach that? But the Bible proclaims it. And we must preach the truth on it. God has not changed his mind on that. But lest the accusation be hurled at us that we're only picking on that segment of society, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 also proclaims that fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God either. Just as it is absolutely sinful and abomination before God to commit homosexuality, young people, especially listen up, we're fornicating on Friday night, and if we're coming here Sunday morning and thinking that God is okay with those practices without repentance, we're sadly mistaken. We've got to preach the truth. And we've got to stand for the truth that unless we repent, Luke 13, verse 3, we will all likewise perish. God hasn't changed his mind on that. But lest we think that God is only concerned with the sexual sins, we need to understand that idolatry is another sin that God has not changed his mind on. And also included in the list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we find idolatry. Preacher, nobody struggles with idolatry anymore. Are you sure about that? Because we look around today at a society that is absolutely obsessed with things such as sports. And we'll forsake the assembling for things such as sports. And we'll spend inordinate amounts of money to ensure that my child makes the NFL or my child makes the professional golf association. Is it wrong to be a professional athlete? No. But what if we're investing all of our time and all of our resources and all of our energies to the neglect of the Lord's church so that our child might, and it's a very big might, make that professional league? It's a problem. And it's a form of idolatry. And how many times today do we see those who, we can miss a Wednesday night, for this ball game. We can miss a Sunday night for this ball game. We can miss a Sunday morning for this ball game. That's idolatry. There are many other forms of idolatry. Money. The love, right, of money. The root of all kinds of evil. First Timothy chapter 6. Hobbies can become idolatrous. Even work can become idolatrous. Entertainment can become idolatrous. And even in certain situations, even family can become idolatrous. Well, we're going to skip worship today because the family get together for Christmas. That's idolizing the family. And so we understand then that God has not changed his stance on idolatry. What about 
this? What about the abortion epidemic in this country? The latest statistics are, are that about 500 or 600,000 babies every single year are sacrificed on the altar of convenience, on the altar of selfishness as those little babies are taken. God hasn't changed his mind on that. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 6, verse 17. I'm reminded of a psalm in Psalm 106, verse 38. That says, even they sacrifice their sons and their daughters to demons. And they shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrifice to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. Brethren, our land today is polluted with innocent blood. God has not changed his mind on that. What about the sins of lasciviousness or drunkenness or witchcraft or hatred or envy, or wrath, or adultery, or contentions, or revelries, wanton partying, that's what that means, or dissensions, or heretical false teaching. God's Word is filled with passages that deal with all these subjects. God hasn't changed His mind on it. Most of those things that I just listed... They're listed in the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. If God has not changed his mind, just like God did not change his mind, Saul, God is not a man that he should lie. God did not change his mind, Saul. You should have obeyed the voice of the Lord. If God has not changed his mind, Since then, why do we sometimes think that he will change his mind now? Nations that forget God will be punished. Sin always leads to the downfall. As we look at the life of King Saul in the Old Testament today, and we see that evidently Saul thinks, you know what, I, I can get away with this one. It's just one minor, uh, one minor alteration of what God said. In fact, this is just a loophole. I, he said the Amalekites, well, I just got the king. He's not the Amalekites. Those are just the people, right? So I, I'm just going to get the king. And... Uh, The animals, I can get them. Blatant disobedience, blatant rebellion to what God said. God said, utterly destroy them. Don't leave anything. Woman or child or any animal, don't leave anything of the Amalekites, Saul. 
disobeyed. He rebelled stubbornly against God, and it cost him his kingship over Israel. If we, as a society, continue to do the exact opposite of what God said, on any number of these subjects and and any other subjects that we can cover from God's Word, if we continue as a nation to do the exact opposite of what God said, in stubborn rebellion to Him, you can mark it down. I don't know when, but you can mark it down. Our day is coming. Our day is coming. Nations rise and nations fall. But God still reigns. But with this very troubling, troubling thought, we still understand today that the folks in this room are Christians. And because we are Christians, we don't partake in these things. We shouldn't be partaking in these things. If we have gotten caught up in these things, then we need to repent. But Christians don't partake in these sinful things that we've talked about this morning. And so with that thought in mind, we can have comfort and we can have peace. And we can know that no matter what goes on around us, no matter what happens as we continue to witness firsthand, I witness the fall of a nation morally. And we await the inevitable, which is eventually the nation will fall if, if we keep this up, if we don't have some sort of revival. We can still take comfort. And we can know And we can rest assured on the promises of God that, you know what, we're going to be taken care of. We can read passages such as the book of Esther to see that. You know what? Israel, they had to go to Babylon. And they spent 70 years there in captivity because of their sins. And the book of Esther shows that they were still over there and... Oh, Mordecai and uh, Haman had their disagreement, and Haman didn't like that, and Haman wanted them obliterated. But God took care of them, didn't he? And he worked it out so that they were spared through his providence. And so even when nations rise and nations fall and nations are punished and, and all these things that we have witnessed throughout history as we study it, even so... The Lord still takes care of those who are on his side. The Lord still loves and cares about his people. And no matter what's going on in the world around us, we can rest assured and know that we're going to be okay if we continue to be on his side. We think about the fact that we are a holy nation, a peculiar people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. We think about that, and we realize that Christians were different than the wickedness 
in the nation around us. No matter what happens in this wicked nation around us, we're going to be okay. Be faithful to God. That's the lesson from 1 Samuel 15 this morning and application that we can make from it. I want to encourage you this morning to not involve yourselves in the various things that we've mentioned, the various sinful things that we've mentioned. We want to encourage you to obey the voice of the Lord, as Samuel told Saul. If you've never obeyed the voice of the Lord in purifying your heart in obedience to the truth and obeying the gospel, you can do that this morning. You can, having believed the gospel that was presented to you, you can repent of your sins and you can confess Christ, your belief in Him and that He is Lord. You can be baptized into Christ this morning. You can have your sins washed away. Though they were crimson, they'll be as white as snow. You can do that this morning. You'll stand redeemed. You'll stand forgiven. You'll stand sanctified and justified. No longer guilty. You can do that. You can stand that way this morning if you've never done that. As you assess your life this this morning, you may be a Christian. You may find yourself a Christian that has strayed from the truth and has went back into a lifestyle of sin. Repent of that. Make it right. Be faithful to God again. If you need to come for any reason this morning, we ask that you please come. As together we stand and as we sing.